0: Tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out. Out we've Life is but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour up on the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale, told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So this is 15 minute film fanatics, but we have a very, very exciting announcement before we begin the actual show. We have crossed, we have crossed the Rubicon, Mike. 10,000 downloads. 10,000 downloads. So thank you so much for the people that are listening and subscribing. We're always asking you to follow us on Twitter or on Letterboxd. Letterboxd. So you can do that. Let us know. We have more requests this season than ever before. The season is still going strong, but we just wanted to start and say, thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners. So This week, we're gonna be talking about The Tragedy of Macbeth, the 2021 film uh, released on Apple TV+, directed by Joel Cohen, without his brother. And of course, uh, he also did the screenplay, also starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. So in part one, we always talk about our overall take on the film. I'm the one that kind of nudged Mike and texted him and said, let's do Macbeth, let's do Macbeth. Mike, what's your take? This can
2: sometimes be an iffy compliment, but I certainly mean it as a compliment. I found the movie interesting, which is I found that they picked up where a lot of other Macbeths leave off, right? Sometimes someone wants to be the authoritative version. What they what you feel like they do is they go in a room and they say, "Okay, forget the way you feel about Macbeth. Here's how I'm going to do it. But that's not what this is. That's Kenneth Brownick's Hamlet. That's Kenneth Brownick's Hamlet. This is a version of Macbeth which acknowledges all the others exist, but there's some fun stuff that you never got to do and that this is like i would say it's low budget macbeth but some of the special effects are actually pretty good i was i was surprised like this is a macbeth with a jump scare i enjoyed that very much that that actually convinced me that i was in good hands that i was that i was watching a, the kind of movie where i could sit back um and let them drive so my overall take was i i was impressed there's some things i liked there's some things i i didn't like but overall i liked much more Uh, than I didn't. And I probably feel like what I didn't like, I didn't understand.
1: My take was I I loved it. And I think I might've even loved it more than you have, because I watched it the first time. And it's funny. I did think it was interesting and I couldn't really articulate what I liked about it. I watched it one afternoon. And then about two weeks later, when I knew we were going to record, I watched it again. I can't remember the last time I watched the same movie twice within two weeks. Maybe it's because I'm afraid my Apple TV plus is going to expire, but um, I love the look of it. I love the sound of it. I love the overall feel. And you know, a couple of things I love. I love that there's no small parts, right? That's an old cliche in act, there's no small parts. Like Brendan Gleeson as Duncan, um, you know, Miles Anderson as Lennox of all people. Like who, who cares about Lennox on the page, right? Um, Catherine Hunter as the witches and as the old man, she she was great. And our friend from the witch, you know, Ralph Innocent, the guy that plays the father of the witch. He has that scene where he's the bloody sergeant reporting mm-hmm. on the civil war. And he's so good in that scene. Like I could have listened to him talk for an hour. Um, I, th- I think they're all great. Uh, it's a great, great ensemble cast, but I really want to talk in part one about about Denzel Washington and how good he is and how impressive he was. And I want to do it in the context of another Shakespeare play, which I'm sure you know. I know you know Hamlet, but I want to do it in the context of the advice that Hamlet gives to the players. Hamlet's advice to the actors when he comes when they come to Elsinore to do the murder of Gonzago. Now, if you had to like, do you remember like roughly what the, what the gist of his advice is?
2: Don't do it too much. Don't do it too little. Do it just right.
1: Do it just right. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play here. This is a clip of Kenneth Branagh, who we mentioned before, as Hamlet, giving his advice to the players. So take a listen to this. And that's exactly exactly what Mike said is what he's going to do.
0: Speak the speech, I pray you, as I pronounced it to you, trippingly on the tongue. But if you mouth it, as many of your players do, I had as lief the town crier had spoke my lines. <laughs> <laughs> Nor do not saw the air too much with your hand, thus, but use all gently. For in the very torrent, tempest, and as I may say whirlwind of your passion, you must acquire and beget a temperance that may give it smoothness. Mm-hmm. Oh, it offends me to the soul to hear a robustious periwig painted fellow tear a passion to tatters, mm-hmm. to very rags, to split the ears of the groundlings, who for the most part are capable of nothing but inexplicable dumb shows and noise. <laughs> I would have such a fellow whipped for or doing termagant. Out Herod's Herod. Pray you avoid it. I warrant, Your Honour. You be not too tame neither but let your own discretion be your tutor suit the action to the word the word to the action with this special observance that you step not the modesty of nature for anything so overdone is from the purpose of playing whose end both at the first and now was and is to hold as twere the mirror up to nature no. to show virtue her own feature scorn her own image the very age and body of the time his form and pressure now this overdone or come tardy off, though it makes the unskilful laugh, cannot but make the judicious grieve. The censure of the which one must, in your allowance, all weigh a whole theater of others.
1: <laughs> so like Mike just said, that's the advice. Don't do it too little. Don't do it too much. Don't overact with your hands. He says, now, of course, he's nervous because he has to do the extra scene to catch Claudius. But he says, you know, speak the speak as I pronounced it to you. Don't mouth it. Don't overdo it. And I think Denzel Washington, I think everybody in the film does, but especially him, he does that. He follows that advice so well that the first time I watched it, I almost thought he was like kind of like too restrained or too subdued because I thought to myself, and you know what a loud person I am. You can't see this if you're listening, but I'm always using my hands and stuff. So I I saw so many line readings where I would have had Macbeth shout or do something more dramatic or like had his imagination go on but he grew on me and I thought his performance was so good. And I watched it again. And I think he does such a good job of following Hamlet's advice of coming across as like, like a soldier and like a solid citizen and, and somebody who's charismatic, but he's got a lot of simmering underneath. Like when, when they tell him he's going to be the Thane of Cordor, and he says, you know, the Thane of Cordor lives. Why do you dress me in borrowed robes? Like he doesn't go like all weird. Like he doesn't go, but thane of Cordor lives. Like you don't see him like trying to keep it together, man. Like he just says the line. And it struck me of how good that is because then when he has to get excited, like when he hears about the Prince of Cumberland and he walks out of the tent, he's like the Prince of Cumberland.
2: I was just gonna say that,
1: yeah. Yeah, like then it's really good. Or after the murder when he knocks the wash basin that he's trying to wash his hands and off. Like those moments really made my heart go faster. So it's great. That's what I loved about the film is that it doesn't try to trick you into not caring about the language. It's not one of these Shakespeare's fun kind of things. Like it's all about the language. And he says the lines, so well, it reminded me of what, again, we keep going back to him, what David Mamet said, he said in one of his books about directing film or theater, he says, when, you, when, the, when the script says go close the door, go close the door. Don't worry about what the characters is thinking as they close the door. Just you know, say the lines and close the door. And I think that um, there's this devotion to, to restraint in this film that I originally thought was Joel Cohen pulling his punches, right? Didn't you think this was going to be more violent than it is? I did. Right, and so and they love you. Saw the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. The the Coen Brothers have no problem being violent, right? But before you said it's almost low budget, and I think that's deliberate. Like the four by three aspect ratio, the black and white. It's clearly like the scenes where they're in the forest. It's clearly meant to look like a a rear projection, you know, old time sound stage. But I think it makes it claustrophobic. It's all stripped down, and that's what you care about is the sound. I will say that
2: one of the things that struck me watching a Coen Brothers movie, which is Macbeth. Is that uh, the seventies the seventies version of Macbeth? I forget one. who. Right, Robin um, The the fight scene it's like a the fight scene from Shane, but it's right. in a Shakespeare picture. <laughs> right. uh, whereas the the sword fight in this one, I'm like, are those foam swords? Like, yeah. what is going on with the sword fight? But every but everything else was great. Yeah. What I really enjoyed about Denzel Washington's performance was the sudden changes of direction as Macbeth went on his descent into madness is how many different emotions he has when he's talking in any given scene, right? Yeah. So when he's totally sane, when he is Macbeth, he's the same guy at the be- end of a conversation as he is at the beginning, yeah. right? When he when he decides to kill Duncan, which is when he hears about the Thane of Cumberland and he walks out of the tent, like you mentioned, there's a couple of different emotions going on. And you would think that that's how you judge good acting. But it turns out that good acting is how you evolve a performance over yeah. individual speeches from the beginning to the end, and so that's what I was impressed by. Because by the time he's talking to uh, to Lady Macbeth uh, about the subsequent murders that she doesn't know about, and he tells her to cool it, there's like twenty things going on in that conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah. He I, his performance gave me goosebumps. I I just I thought he was like he was like so so great. All right, in part two we'll talk about our moments. So welcome back. In part two, we talk about our favorite moments in the film, Mike, what's Yours?
2: My moment comes right in the beginning. Okay, I love Macbeth, practically memorized Macbeth, been reading Macbeth my entire life. I think the first time I read, I was like nine years old. So like we got two decades plus of Macbeth. I wasn't super excited to watch this film. Um, I became more excited after. So my moment has to do with me as a viewer being convinced to sit and watch the rest of this movie and let them do it rather than think about how I would do it. Which is first, when you first, when you see the witch, it's like something out of a Beckett play. And it's totally disturbing. It's just, it's disturbing. Like watching the witches from Macbeth do craps last tape. And I'm not sure what it is about that. That's so unnerving. I wasn't prepared for one witch. And of course you're thinking to yourself, if you know, Macbeth when the movie starts, where's the other two, witches? where's the other two. And the moment that they appear is that, when Macbeth and Banquo are talking to them over a reflective pool, like uh, rainwater collected yeah. in, in the moor, you can see one witch and you can see the other two as reflection. And in fact, M- Macbeth and Banquo let you know that they're talking to multiple witches. So they're seeing something that you're not seeing and you wonder as a viewer what that is. And that's that's an interesting manufactured moment, right? Yeah. You, ha- you have to have a cinematic eye and Shakespeare in front of you to invent that moment and to make it possible and then to make it believable. And then the jump scare I alluded to is they turn into a murder of ravens that <laughs> fly out of the mist right, right at you, which of course you don't expect in the middle of Shakespeare. And so what I mean, I guess, in part one, when I said that this movie's interesting, but it relies on other versions of Macbeth is that there's, there's a little bit too much respect you can have for something like Shakespeare and you feel like you have to perform up to it or you feel like you have to direct up to it. And obviously that's not how the people who made this movie felt about it. They felt right on the level with the source material and like they could do whatever they want. So they did. And I applaud them for that.
1: Without being cute, without making them cowboys or setting it in, in a dystopian future landscape.
2: Right. As much as I enjoy um, in McKellen's Richard too. III, the, the, constructing idea at the beginning of Richard III is what carries you all the way through and it and it doesn't vary right they just they had an idea and they're like yeah maybe it will be more comprehensible if we do this so they Uh did that now Ian McKellen is also my favorite Macbeth in my least favorite version of Macbeth which is the version of Macbeth taped in the late 60s by by the BBC where they decided to do blank stage Macbeth right so there's no more there's no costume on the witches. Macbeth is in a black turtleneck and Jane Dame Judy Dench who plays Lady Macbeth yes. is also in a black turtleneck as though like they had figured out where Steve Jobs buys his outfits and Macbeth bought all his outfits at the same store.
1: Cauldron burn and iPod double. Right. Um, my,
2: my, my That's my least favorite version.
1: Well, I think that, you know, it's funny what you just said about when you first see The Witch, it's great. I love how she's um, when we first did our episode on The Witch, we gave that film a lot of props because we said at least The Witch is scary. At least it's, at, and I think here, the witch is scary too. When she starts speaking and it's, it's almost like, it's almost like she has multiple personalities and her, remember her, like her, her foot, it's like this- Her of weird that, foot
2: comes yeah, over her comes out shoulder, holding yeah. the
1: pilot's thumb. Like all that stuff is great. And then when you realize that, when you realize that the, that the the ravens flying overhead, of course, are the witches. And she has like her little black cape on and she starts like flying around. And then later in the film, when, you, when you're when you watching um, Ross talk to the old man and you're like, oh, it's the same actress. Like she's the old man. Did you get that when you first saw it? No. Yeah, she's the old man, so she's everywhere. She's got an eye on everybody. So my moment is actually a triple moment because it's the same thing that happens three times in the film, and it's when you said before Polanski's film. Now, in Polanski's film, John Finch is Macbeth. When he, one thing Polanski added is you see the murder scene. So when you when you read the play and see the play performed, you don't see that the murder happens off stage for for different dramatic reasons to build suspense. In Polanski's version, John Finch goes in. He's holding the knife up to Duncan. And he does, you don't know what he's going to do. It's like, am I going to cross this, 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 this boundary within myself? Duncan opens his eyes and says, Macbeth? And then he kills him. Like, he can't turn back. So Joel Cohen kind of does the same thing. He's sitting there. But when Brendan Gleason opens his eyes and he looks at Denzel Washington, Denzel Washington just puts his finger in front of his lips as if to say, shh, don't make a noise. And then he goes ahead and does it. That finger on the lips comes up twice more in the film. It comes up when Ross comes to meet the two murderers, when they're hiding behind that little makeshift hut in the road to kill Banco. They see him and he just goes. shh. And it also comes up with Lady Macbeth in the sleepwalking scene. So I think it's interesting. Three times in the film, three different characters make that gesture. And I think it's great because this film was full of whispering. It's full of like I said before, it's full of restraint. And that, So when people do yell, like when she yells in the sleepwalking scene, it's truly bone chilling. You're as scared as the doctor and, and the, and the, the maid are. And the camera also goes in really close to their faces when they start whispering. And I think that's a great, great thing to see because in, in the world of movies today, I think a lesser director would have made this movie much more, it would have been full of sound and fury, but maybe signifying nothing. So in part three, we always talk about the ending or the title and some maybe tie up some loose ends. So, Mike, what haven't we hit yet that we should?
2: One of my favorite scenes, I, and I think as any student's favorite scene is when Macbeth talks to Macduff, which you usually imagine is shouted back and forth yes. from like 20 feet away from different battle lines. Right. So it's, it's meant to be a very overheard conversation. Right. And then he says, lay on and then they fight. And if you watch almost any version of Macbeth, that's how this is done. But there's an intimacy about the conversation between Macbeth and Macduff with with Macbeth as Denzel Washington when he tells him, you don't want any of this. Yeah, And you can tell that he's he's not scared. He's unsure for the first time. As much as I didn't really like the sword fight, honestly, and that's like the only weakness of this movie for me, the conversation beforehand is is the best out of any version of Macbeth I've ever seen.
1: Yes, because intuitively, and again, one of our comment, one of our broken record things we say in this podcast is if you gave Mike and Dan a pot of money and said, do it, you and I would have had that. We, they would have been yelling at each other. Of course. He would have said, no, McDuff, my soul is too much charged with blood of thine already. And we would have been like, oh yeah, great, great, great. And we would have been like all adrenaline, but I think intimacy. And I love, remember they have the sword fight on, the, on that very narrow kind of bridge. Yes. So they can't, like, I, I love that too. And it forces, it forces them to be, to be intimate.
2: Yeah, and again, the, the the like I know I've made this point already, but they're playing on expectations you have from yes. other versions. If your expectation from another version is that they have a hundred feet to maneuver in. Joel Cohen says, "No, I'm going to narrow it to about the size of the hallway. Maybe the swords don't even fit. Like you you can't you literally can't turn around to hack at somebody. That ups the tension. It ups the ante because you're not sure how that sword fight is going to work. Yes, right, but." Again, that even that effect, that emotional effect, is designed for someone who's seen Macbeth a hundred times because you know how that sword fight is supposed to work.
1: One thing I thought about the very, very end is as you remember Ross, who looks like a Dementor in this whole film what you know, going around, when, when Ross goes and you, you find out that when he found Fleance, he didn't kill him, right? He was kind of, and that he pays the old man and he goes and picks him up and they're riding away and he's going to take, you know, to make them kings, the seat of bankroll kings. And Ross, he goes into into a little dip and then all the birds come out, like all the ravens come out. You know, remember that scene at the end? Mm -hmm. The thing that I thought about that was, I'm a little, (laughs) I want to sound like a grouch because I could watch this movie again right now, but I'm just a little, Macbeth says, I've begun to grow weary of the sun. I've begun to grow a little weary of cute endings of movies. I've begun to grow a little weary of like the quote unquote deep ending. And I remember thinking like, you didn't have to see this. Like, I'm tired of seeing like, you go on Twitter and it's a Google search, like, you know, the, the ending of hereditary very explained the ending of Chinatown explained. And I think there's this kind of, isn't it, isn't, don't you feel like there's this kind of movement now that you have to have some kind of like strange off-putting ending to, to like, I don't think they needed it. I think the movie was so good.
2: It It's, it's a cultural meme, but it's an adaptation yeah. for Apple TV plus. So I, you know, that's, that's the price of admission.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right, fair enough. All right. Well, I could watch this movie again right now. I really, really loved it. I urge everybody out there. Of course, if you're listening to this, there's no spoilers because we assume you've read Macbeth at least once already, but you don't. You can go into this with all your full spoilers. I think it was terrific. It's Even if you get Apple TV Plus for a month for five bucks or whatever, I think the five bucks is worth the admission, like Mike said. So thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for all the downloads. Keep the requests coming. You could follow us at 15 film on Twitter and on Letterboxd. Thank you so much. We should do Throne of Blood now. We should. That's great. So we just, we gave us, we gave ourselves our own request. See you next time.